Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Over the last couple of decades, we've really tried to keep demand and supply as close to each other as possible in order to decrease costs. And I think as a result, with this wave of the pandemic and increased hospitalization, we are having to pull resources from one place to another. And as a result, we have canceled tens of thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of surgeries across the country. All right, let's start with this, please, because you just heard uh, Dr. LaFontaine, the president-elect of the CMA, Hundreds of thousands of surgeries have been canceled. That alone uh, points to the stress that the healthcare system is under. Can you give us a, just because we hear politicians talk about it, and we we hear references to the stress the system is under. Can you give us a sense, uh, Dr. Bogosh, of what you see as far as a stress system is concerned? And is Omicron one of those um, transient appearances that's going to be here and gone fairly shortly? Well, I hope it's here and gone very shortly because it's really messing things up significantly right now. Those stresses are real. Those are not exaggerated. If you walk into just about any hospital in the country and you peek into the emergency department, the ICU, or the wards, you will see short staffing. You will see uh, nurses called into work that should not be there because they're working overtime. You'll see fewer nurses working, fewer allied health care. The doctors are getting it as well. We're all being called in to do more and more because uh, there's more patients and fewer people working. It is a real and significant challenge. What, what's your observation and your experience, Dr. Kinderchuk? Well, I think what we're seeing, unfortunately, right now is the, the worst case scenario that we, we've seen for the pandemic, right? So we, we are not only seeing the stress on the healthcare system, we're also seeing those secondary effects um, on other systems because the unfortunate reality is you have a lot of people that are unfortunately sick all at the same time. So you start to see the, you know, the ramifications in terms of commerce, in terms of industry, um, and, and all around the country. So you know, I think that's one of the things that maybe we weren't necessarily prepared for, was this idea that not only would healthcare be stressed, but now all of our protective services, all those other services, also would be stressed at the same time. Mm-hmm. So let, let me do this, Dr. Kendrachuk, if you don't mind. Sometimes it's a good idea to go back to the beginning. We, we get f- certain way down the road and we forget where we started and what caused the problem and what the problem, how large the problem is now. So you are the Canada Research Chair in Molecular Pathogens of Emerging and Reemerging Viruses, Assistant Professor, Viral Pathogens in the Department of Medical Microbiology at the University of Manitoba. So you know about viruses. You were also the uh, diagnostic lead in Liberia during the West Africa Ebola epidemic, and I can't think of anything more terrifying than that. So within the context of, uh, of viruses that appear and threaten us, where does COVID actually fit, and how is it developing, you know, emerging and re-emerging? Are we seeing this? What, what, what are we looking at today? Yeah, you know, I think this is a good question, right? I mean, first of all, we have to look back at the fact that, you know, for coronaviruses, we have had other coronaviruses that have uh, emerged over time. And, and we have one, quite frankly, that is, that is thought to have maybe caused a, a prior pandemic in, in the 1800s. Um, so we, we don't have a lot beyond SARS and MERS. To, to tell us and inform us what what is the trajectory for uh, for, for SARS-CoV-2. I think what we have to appreciate, though, is that, listen, and quite simply, viruses do what viruses do, and they do it very well. So th- there is no blueprint or timeline for, for what this virus is going to do. The, I think the, the simplest answer is uh, the more opportunity we give it to change, 
the more that it is going to change. And unfortunately, those changes are, are random. The mutations are random. Um, once in a while, you get the right fit of mutations that, that change what the, what the virus is doing and the behaviors of it. So, you know, when, when we talk about the, the progression of where this is going, um, you know, we're, we're focused on Omicron right now. We're talking about what will happen with Omicron in the next you know, few weeks and few months. To me, the bigger question is, what's the next variant? Because we, we can't predict what that's going to look like. So our best defense is to try and get transmission uh, reduced across the globe so that we're not facing these questions uh, for, uh, for the foreseeable future. So there's no a reasonable expectation that if Omicron is milder than Delta, and it appears to be, uh, there's no reasonable expectation that the next one's going to be milder than Omicron. Is that correct? Well, that's the question, right? Is that when we look at this from from the behavior of the virus, the question now is saying, okay, well, what it, to push Omicron out? What set of behaviors would you need in terms of the next variant that emerged to do that and and to push away from that? That's the big question. We we don't have an idea of what the upper limit is in terms of transmissibility, in terms of immune evasion, in terms of virulence. So we we don't know. I think we can make some guesses, but at, at Quite frankly, those are guesses. And I think, again, we get back to this situation of saying, let's try and not find out. Um, it's difficult to say that because it's a monumental uh, task to do it, but that is our, our, our best defense. Okay, Dr. Bogosh, want to add to that? I mean, I just love when you hear a scientist communicate uncertainty and use the terms, I don't know, because that tells you they know what they're talking about. It really does. And, you know, when you hear people speak confidently on this manner, a big red flag should go up. What we do know is that the more uh, we leave the world unvaccinated, the higher the probability that another variant will emerge. Um, and, uh, and, and the more community level protection we get through vaccination or, of course, recovery from infection, the better off we're going to be when the next variant rolls through town. The, this whole issue of hundreds of thousands of surgeries being canceled People not being able to go and see um, their doctors. Uh, Dr. Kinderchuk, you know, I just read a story in Manitoba, getting to see an ophthalmologist, extremely difficult. This puts uh, the entire healthcare system on the back foot. How are we going to get out of this? Uh, I'm sure you've talked about it among yourselves as doctors. How do we get out of this? Either of you, please. Yeah, I'll start. This is tough. Um, You know, the canceled surgeries are, are a big deal. Uh, stating the obvious. And, you know, sometimes we call them elective surgeries. There's nothing elective about them. These are hip surgeries and vision surgeries and cancer surgeries. So uh, many of us are calling them scheduled surgeries, not elective surgeries. Some are more urgent than others, but none of them are elective. Um, You know, and these aren't the result of lockdowns. These are a result of a healthcare system that's stretched beyond capacity. Some people erroneously say there's a lockdown, your surgery's canceled. No. Your healthcare system is overwhelmed. Your surgery is canceled. That's why you need all hands on deck and all resources to care for the influx of patients with an acute medical illness, namely COVID, uh, and, and you have to divert resources to help care for them. It's as simple as that. When you look at other parts of the world, you say, well, how come we can't be like Florida or how come we can't be like other, you know, Texas? And the answer is, listen, we can do whatever we want, but everything comes at a cost and we don't have the health system capacity like they do. If you opened up and you let this virus run amok, as other places have done, you know, you're going to have, you know, just stating the obvious, you have more cases, more deaths, more hospitalizations, and our hospital system cannot uh, accommodate that. It just can't. We just don't have enough 
beds or resources to accommodate the level of virus transmission. I have no problem with people making the choice, saying, you know what, we want more restrictions or fewer restrictions. That's, you know, in a democratic society, the, the people should choose to what extent they, they want this. But, you know, it's not even, I don't even know if we have the choice here because our healthcare system would get, well, it already is getting walloped and it would continue to get walloped if, uh, if we chose to take a, a laissez-faire pathway. Okay, let me just uh, ask you this question then, and I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Kendrick, on this. Different countries have different approaches. We see NFL stadiums filled with unmasked Americans. We see that today. Meanwhile, in Canada, our, our arenas are not accommodating fans at the moment. In the UK, Sir Andrew Pollard, who's the head of their National Immunization Board, uh, says you can't vaccinate the world every six months, and he argues against more boosters until there's more evidence. And he adds the worst of the pandemic is definitely behind us, and the society must reopen fully sooner than later. And that uh, is from the UK. Uh, Canada, with our province-by-province province approach, is again different in in the United States. Uh, and I just want to address this, Dr. Bogosh. Americans have a greater per-population-staffed ICU bed reality. Their health care system is, is very different to ours. So back to you, Dr. Kendrick, and then to you, Dr. Bogosh. How do we deal with, I mean, is there a better model? Is there an option to, available to us to do it better and, and, and more quickly in this country? Or are we just doing the best we can? Well, I think this is going to probably be, you know, five to ten years of, of very thorough investigation to figure out what worked, what did not work, and, and what were the preceding events prior to the pandemic that mm-hmm. precipitated or exacerbated that the problems that, that we've seen. And certainly, listen, I, I hope that the worst of the pandemic is behind us, but I also want to say that when we talk about the worst of the pandemic being behind us, are we talking about us nationally and regionally, or are we talking about us globally? Because those two things often are conflated, and there are two div- very, very different realities. And I yeah. think we, we have to appreciate that, listen, we're, we're in this until globally we get this pandemic under control, because yeah. ultimately it is going to come back and it, it is going to have ramifications for, for all of us if we do not get it under control. I, I think as well, uh, Dr. Bogosh, that those of us who don't have a scientific uh, background, we are hearing so many messages that are coming our way from so many different sources that we start to cherry pick what sounds best and most believable and doable to us. Yeah, it's, it's the, you know, science by Twitter era. Uh, and it's really challenging because, you know, some people like to think of the medical or scientific or public health community as one being. And that's nothing could be further from the truth. You have multitude of voices and some are uh, obviously more credible than others um but yeah but uh, even when you have multiple people look at the same information the same data you often get two completely different analyses and even policies uh, that are very different that stem from the same data you know welcome to life and welcome to science it's messy having said that the you know I think we also have to take a very pragmatic approach as well. Like, what are the resources we have available to us right now? How can we best use them? And how can we, you know, make, you know, proceed forward in Canada with the fewest deaths, the fewest people in hospital, the greatest degree of openness, the greatest degree of freedom, and maximize everything possible? Now, obviously, this isn't a perfect scenario, and, and we do have limited resources, and we've been smacked several times in each wave. You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I do agree with a lot of what Dr. Pollard says uh, in a perfect world. And who knows? Like, don't hold me to this. Please don't hold me to this. But, you know, after this wave, it's pretty clear that everyone is either going to be 
vaccinated and boosted or infected and recovered or both and you know exposed and the level of community protection through immunity either through vaccination infection or both is going to be massive so hopefully and you know covid is not going anywhere we all know that so hopefully when the, the variant du jour rolls through town next time we have such a degree of community level protection it just doesn't disrupt us the same degree it has in the past but simultaneous with that yeah we have to invest in our health care so that even if there are a greater rise in hospitalizations. You can't. You just can't keep shutting down the economy. You can't keep shutting down. It's like this is completely not sustainable over the long term. You know, I get it in the first wave, but after that, there we we should have been done with this. Yeah, we should have. We have one minute left, so uh, thirty seconds to uh, each of you on this. The federal health ministers started musing about provinces introducing uh, mandatory uh, you know, mandates for vaccines. Do you believe in that? Is uh, Dr. Kentrichuk is is that is that the way to go? Well, listen, it, it spurs people to get vaccinated. There's no question uh, about that. But there's also another side of this, and certainly in Manitoba, we're getting hit with that, where we have uh, certainly groups of people that are, are, are concerned and still hesitant and reluctant to get vaccinated. So we also don't want to alienate people. It's difficult. Uh, we, we've got to figure out a way to get through this as quickly as possible. And, and if we've got to introduce mandates to try and get that suppressed, uh, then, then we, we need to throw it as, uh, out as one of the tools we have. About 20 seconds, uh, Dr. Bogosh, mandates. I'll be clear. No, I don't like that approach. I appreciate there's a lot of debate within the general public, the medical and scientific community. I'm not a fan. I prefer carrots, not sticks. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.